Angie Hensley here. I'm a counselor in the Counseling Center on campus. Welcome to the Be Well podcast, where we are hosting weekly conversations on all things related to mental health and wellness. And our intention here is just to have informal conversations in a way that helps to reduce stigma associated with reaching out for help with any kind of um, issues or problems that students might be struggling with. And um, we're just trying to kind of explore a little more deeply all these topics related to mental wellness. Today, our very first podcast, we are talking about women's relationships with food and body. And we have two guests. One is Melissa Harder. She's an LCSW at uh, the California State University in Chico. And then Sage Miller Wildsmith, she's an assistant to the vice president and dean of the college um, right here at Maryville College. And we are having a deep conversation about food and body and people's relationship to that. It's very personal. And we really want to invite each one of you to listen. And if you feel moved or called to share, you can get on the voice message link and send us a message. And um, it can be private if you want, or if you want us to be able to share it, we can do that. Um, so you can just let us know. And I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Thanks. Okay, so here we are. Um, we're going to just take a little time to um, have our guests today introduce themselves and um, just say a little bit about um, their personal and professional relationship to the material today around food and body. And um, as we get started, I just want to do a little trigger warning that you know, as we talk about some of this material, sometimes it brings up a desire to want to engage in some behaviors that maybe we, um, you know, don't want to engage in. So even just like hearing about this could, get, you know, get us activated around food or around our bodies. And so just for those of you that struggle with um, um, eating and um, either restricting or um, binging, just like being really gentle and graceful with yourself and knowing that um, you're not alone and that there's help and um, that you can reach out. So maybe just whichever one of you, Sage or Melissa wants to start, um, we can just get started by introducing ourselves. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I guess it's me. <laughs> um, my name is Melissa Harder. I am a licensed clinical social worker with the WellCat Counseling Center at Chico State. Um, and I facilitate a group called Making Peace with Food and Body. Um, let's see, my journey 
my, my journey. Um, I mean, I, I kind of grew up um, with a mom who experienced yo-yo dieting, like just with it, like just a brat, like avid dieter, um, always taking like herbal supplements to like um, experience like weight loss and things like that. And so like, I mean, it just like, I was exposed to this idea of like needing to modify your body very young. Um, and then when I was nine, my father remarried a woman who, um, who struggled with bulimia. Um, and so, um, I think that as I became a teenager, a lot of my experiences with bulimia and anorexia, um, were learned behaviors, um, and that's just in my home. That's not even counting the, the overall social aspect that us as women face as we, um, as we grow up, um, those beauty standards. And so, yeah, growing up, I experienced, um, a lot of, yeah, yo-yo dieting, um, bulimia, anorexia, restricting, um, overeating, um, and I mean, it's just been a journey. It's been a long journey, um, you know, and, and so um, uh, in my professional realm, um, I have always been kind of met with um, clients and students that struggle with um, their relationship to their body and food. Um, I firmly believe that we're kind of matched with people for a reason. And there's this parallel process that happens. And, um, and, and I mean, and then I've been doing this making peace with food and body group for um, probably this is like the third semester um, and it's fantastic. And I get something out of it every time. And um, it's, it's just amazing. It's, it's great. And, I often tell the people in my group that, um, you know, recovery is, um, it's a labyrinth. It's not like a straight shot and um, it's ever going, you know? Um, I think that um, I refer to my eating disorder as Ed and it is a he because I firmly believe that the patriarchy is like the big influence here. Um, um, but, you know, I, I often say that um, Ed may not be driving the car, but he's always in the car, you know, and, and so especially now as we're like experiencing this pandemic for the last two years, um, you know, many of us that have been hardwired with that Ed um, are really faced with the current challenges of like, how do I cope, right? How do I cope? Um, because um, because our eating disorder has been a coping skill, has been a survival skill for many of us. And so um, I can go on and on, but I won't <laughs> rant. Um, so, but yeah, that's kind of just my journey. And I really enjoy um, helping young folks look at their um, conflicting relationship with their body and food from a different perspective. 
Thank you. Um, so I can share a little about, while I've never, um, you know, experience, I haven't had the experience of having like an eating disorder, but as a woman, it's like, I definitely have a very long, deep history of a relationship with my body and with eating that has been up and down. And I'll say, you know, my story kind of starts like yours, Melissa, like with the, my mom and like the women in my family. Um, and just to kind of um, pan back, it, it happens that like very naturally in my family, all of the women, and there's so many of us, and they're like, if I kind of go back, my grandmother, my Auntie Ruth, um, my mom, my Aunt Cindy, my sister and I, and then my three nieces, um, all are were very naturally thin when we were younger. And then around like 30, um, kind of have this thing where we gain weight. And it's happened with like all the women in my family. And so it's just been sort of a part of our, um, you know, experience of like, oh, well, enjoy eating anything you want while you're young, because when you get older, it's not going to be that. And I wonder just how much of that lore inside of our family, you know, it was just like, you know, something that we lived with, like this story about our bodies and getting older. And um, I think for me, you know, I, and also in my family, food is a big deal. Like we come around cooking and cooking together and, and, and holidays and just food and eating is so much a part of our like way of like loving each other. And um, my nieces all have these different things. Like, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I've always been a vegetarian. I mean, since I was like 17 and I'm 47 now. So, um, you know, my one niece has celiac, so she can't have um, gluten. And, you know, there's just all these different um, dietary things in our family. And like a big way that we love each other is like making these special um, dishes and meals to like accommodate these, these food things, which I want, you know, I know, like, you know, it's, it's fine. And it's just an interesting part of our togetherness and our relationship with one another and with our bodies. And I will say like, for me, when I was in my thirties, I gained about an extra 30 pounds, which for me felt like, okay, you know, it's like, I, I had this extra 30 pounds and I was like, I loved my body. I still felt sexy. I was like, you know, but it, but it became like this place where my mom and like people, my family could just like comment about my body and which I just, am like, Whoa, that's so intrusive to like have a, like go visit and have a family member, like comment on your body, you know? And so I just started to kind of go, Whoa, we don't do that to the guys. There's nothing, no, nothing like this with the men in our family, you know, like where we're commenting on their bodies or it becomes this huge thing. So I, you know, that's when I began to kind of go, oh, okay, this is interesting and track it with, you know, some of the women that I work with and begin to see, oh, there, you know, there's some version of this and everyone's like um, lineage and in their story and they're, you know, it's different, but some themes in here. Um, and so, you know, I feel like um, for me, and even just like right now in my life, like I, I, um, a few years ago, like lost the 30 pounds. And it was because I was talking to people 
about um, menopause and they were like, you know, if you, if you want, if you have any weight that you want to lose, lose it now before you go through menopause, because which is another thing, you know, this is a topic for another day, but like that I, you know, was like, I'm going through menopause. Like I know all these women, nobody talks about this. So I was like doing this thing where I was purposefully talking to every woman I knew, especially if she was older than I was about menopause, you know, and um, that was one of the things. And so I decided like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. And I did it over the course of a year. Um, and so, you know, it was 30 pounds over the course of the year. So it was very sustainable. And I could just see how, whoa, even just engaging in this thing about losing weight, it's like my, and it was from a very healthy perspective, but like, I could just feel how something else would kind of get a hold of it. And like, I would start to be really conscious about what I was eating and weighing myself and all of these things. And just like, whoa, this is a whole different way of um, being, you know, inside of this, because it's something that like, up until then, I hadn't really been aware of or conscious of. And so now it's like you say, Melissa, it's like, I still kind of have that in my you know, it's like, oh, this is like a passenger on my bus here where I'm like kind of watching what I'm eating or being like, okay, yeah, I want to have the French fries, but I'm not going to have the, you know, whatever. And, you know, just kind of making those kind of, you know, deals with myself about food. And, um, and, you know, I also just know that like, I do have some really um, healthy, you know, like there is this relationship of like, I want to eat good and like love my body. I want to like, exercise and give my body movement and how to do that from a place of like love and, and, um, you know, just appreciation rather than like that weird critical voice. So I'm still struggling with that. Um, hi, I'm Sage and, um, thanks for asking me to be a part of this. It's, um, really nice to hear um, your perspectives and I can relate to just about everything that you all have said. Um, <clears throat> I would say that for me, uh, this eating disorder has been a part of my life since the age of 13. And I specifically remember the day and where I was and everything about the setting of when I recognized in my mind that my body was not okay, that it, that I looked at it differently. And, um, it's been that way since that day, ever since every single day. And that journey has taken so many twists and turns for me from, like you said, restricting Melissa to binging, to, analyzing, weighing food, weighing me, obsessively exercising, you know, every kind of different diet known to man, I feel like I've done or tried and just, I mean, I'm 57 now and I feel like I have done it all in regards to a food journey, healthy, non-healthy, um, all of the above and everything in between with the exception of physically altering my body through um, like uh, surgery, you know, to, to change my um, stomach. I have not done that, but people in my family have. 
it's a it's a family disease in my case where it's um, very ancestral from especially my mother and watching her eating patterns, very unhealthy woman and watching her use food to cope with every emotion, not just sad or mad, but happy. Like you said, Angie, um, you know, food was a huge part of how we dealt with life. We were um, middle income. And so food was a big celebratory thing. It was a stress thing. It was, uh, well, we can't afford to do this, but we can afford to have a really awesome this, you know? And so food was central and abundant, no matter what the rest of the situation was. And so I watched my family, mother, father, relatives, use food as coping mechanisms. And I think that got hardwired into my brain. Um, honestly, I didn't see people eating healthy or being um, whatever, you know, like how it is to eat quote unquote normal, which I don't know that that exists, but you know what I mean? Not, I never saw anything other than unhealthy ways of eating. And so that's what I grew up using and doing and still do to this day, a lot of times. Um, and I think, you know, tying it into ancestry is very important. I think also as women, you know, self-esteem and how we are viewed in this society is also critical. Um, and how it, social media and how the patriarchy that sets up how the beauty standards are for women in this country, I think contributes to everything that we are talking about. Um, I think that it's very, very hard for women to find their authentic self and really feel strong within themselves about their body without having some sense of all of those factors contributing to it and shame. And I know that just in having this conversation with you all, lots of feelings have come up regarding shame or, you know, body awareness and just all the things that we deal with on an on a daily basis, at least for me in my eating disorder, it is a part of my daily thought process, pretty much from the time I wake up in the morning and how I proceed throughout the day is a constant challenge for how it's going to be. Each meal, each bite, each drink, each everything is one step at a time, what's it gonna be like? And I fail at it miserably a lot of times. And it's not just like, oh, well, I looked at this social media thing and now I'm gonna eat this way. I think it's a collective. The higher consciousness of this country and the way that women are viewed and treated, I think plays a huge part in how uh, we choose to take care of our bodies and how we have limitations and how um, in, in the sense that limitations in the sense of how we have to work so hard to overcome that stuff. And also I think, you know, using and having all those things, whether it be trauma or just how we were raised with unhealthy habits, all of those things combined, I think make, make it more challenging for some. And not everybody has access to um, the same food choices in this country either. 
you know, um, there's food deserts everywhere. There are places where they don't have access to clean water even, I mean, in this country. So I think there's so much involved in a person's um, food journey if they have an eating disorder. It's not as simple as, oh, I just ate too much chocolate today or I ate too many carbs today. There's so much more to it than that. And it has boggled my mind because as a person who who's tried all these things, even been to treatment and, and just all the different things, and it just doesn't go away. It's not something that you can just, oh, this diet's going to cure it. You know, at least for me, that's not how, how it has been. And as I've gotten older and, and even with menopause, all the things affect how each different little space in our journeys has different challenges that are multi-leveled in my opinion. And it's just, I think it's one of the hardest things that people have to deal with women, especially, but men too, you know? And so I think I'm writing a book about it. I've been writing a book about it for several years in just my journey, because I feel like it's not talked about enough. You know, I feel like other addictions are talked about a lot more than eating addictions and disorders are. And I feel like if we could bring it more to the forefront and remove some of that shame and build self-esteem and authenticity for people who are suffering with it, I think that when each individual's collective, you know, journey is talked about, it would give them more strength or at least some sounding board or the ability to know that you're not alone. And I think that the bottom line for me and the message that I always wanna share with everyone is to just never give up because there's so many twists and turns. There's no black and white answer. There's no fix. It's like, how do you deal with it day to day, moment to moment, meal by meal? and try to maintain some sort of balance and health with it, knowing that there's no perfect, you know, straight line to recovery. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I come from with it and writing about it and finally deciding to talk about it, which is really, really hard. Um, I feel is, is part of what my message is, is I think it's important to talk about it, even when it's hard, even when there's shame associated with it and, and calling it what it is and being there to support one another, I think is so, so key because I've dealt with this in private for many, many years, other than just my immediate family. And so this is the first time I've really openly talked about it for a long, long time with anyone outside of just my family. So that's kind of what I think about I want to do is to start talking about it more, be supportive for other people, and just to encourage that even though I don't have the answers and even though I don't um, know how to fix any of it necessarily, I have experienced strength and hope, and I have the feeling of never giving up. You know, even when I have felt down and felt like giving up, I didn't, and I keep trying. And so that's kind of my message. And I think it's really great that we have a platform to share this with. So thank you. Thank you so much, both of you for sharing. And um, 
I'm going to read, this is a book that we've all, <laughs> we've all read and um, we all really love. And I'm going to read a little um, quote from it. Um, and then we could just kind of like just sit with this for a moment. So um, they're talking about goddess culture and the um, author's name is Anita Johnston. Um, so she says, um, the female side of God in the form of the goddess was worshiped. The spirit of the feminine was recognized as the creative life force of the earth. Its symbol was the circle, a shape that has no beginning and no end. That which was round or curved was considered beautiful. The shape of the earth, an egg, the naturally rounded curved shape of a woman's body that which moved in cycles was respected and honored as a source of wisdom. The seasons, the moon phases, the ebb and flow of the tides and nature's life, death, rebirth cycle were looked to for answers to the mysteries of life. Women's wisdom gained from their natural connection to nature through their menstrual cycle was revered. Women were respected for the power of their intuition and their understanding of the earth's ways. This wisdom was passed on from woman to woman, from mother to daughter for thousands of years. Time passed and things changed. A new way of perceiving the world came into being. The line came to be considered superior to the circle. A hierarchy developed. What was made by men was considered superior to what was made by nature. The circle was removed from a position of reverence and replaced by the symbol of the line, which had a beginning and an end, a top and a bottom, a superior position and an inferior position. And all the things came to be valued according to their position. Those on top had more power than those on the bottom. The goddess was banished. Only the male side of God was allowed to be worshiped. The earth was no longer viewed as the sacred source of all creation. So just to kind of throw that in the pot for us. Um, and I, I wanna say, you know, we're talking a lot here about women and the patriarchy. And just, I wanna underscore what you said earlier, Sage, which is that, this isn't just harmful to women. Like we're focusing on how the patriarchy impacts women because it does have a big impact. And a lot of it is about how we're objectified and um, you know, sexualized and commodified in a lot of ways. And at the same time, this is also hurtful to men, you know, and when we say the patriarchy, we're not you know, that's as much, that includes women as much as it includes men, right? So this is kind of outside this construct of gender, you know, so I, I just want to underscore that. But um, just, you know, holding this space in here for, um, you know, our disconnection with the earth and with earth cycles and our disconnection from our own bodies as women um, or as a culture with women's bodies too, that, in a lot of ways, women's bodies and the earth are treated similarly. I'll say too, so I had two book recommendations. Well, more than that, but I, this one um, 
it's called Eating in the Light of the Moon, which is just a beautiful book. And then Marion Woodman also writes about this, about the idea of how patriarchy strips our lives of soul. And that um, there's a way in which this addictive tendency, no matter what it is, but she talks a lot about the feminine being like, you know, eating and like nurturing and maternal nurturing in particular, um, is a way to concretize those, that kind of feminine energy, right? And so it's like we become like addicted instead of like really um, learning and knowing how to open to conscious feminine archetypes in a way that's truly nourishing and healthy and sustainable. Um, and so some of the books that Marion Woodman wrote, um, one is um, Addiction to Perfection. Um, the Owl Was a Baker's Daughter, Leaving My Father's House. And if you just Google her, there's a lot of talks that she does that you can get on YouTube where she's just kind of chatting about all this stuff. She was a union analyst. So she talks a lot about archetypal energy and um, the conscious feminine. So just to throw that out there, if people want to have you know books to read, which I always love. But I'll just open it up again to each one of us. Like if there's anything that you want to share that either feels important to speak to um, or that you feel like you just want, like if there's a student out there um, struggling with their relationship with their body or with their relationship with food or eating, um, is there anything that we want to say? Um, I, that, that like quote is just like, mm, so good. Um, and like what comes to mind for me, what keeps coming up is like this rejection of the feminine, right? And so, um, right. And with that comes like the competition, right? And so I think many of the young people I work with, and I mean, you know, even myself, like we struggle with this competition and then um, bringing in, and I can only speak from the women's perspective, right? But like bringing women down and, um, I, you know, it's it's so interesting to me kind of like as I listen to that and I, I kind of like lean into this and looking at my own relationships with women and even just the relationships I have, I've had with my own mother and my, my stepmother, you know, and this rejection of like the feminine energy and like almost your body wanting to like um, compensate for that, right? And so like nurturing through food right? Coping through food. Um, you know, and, and yeah, so it's just kind of like, um, I just, I, I, I feel that. And I feel like with like social media, the way it is to it just like adds to this competition and this comparison and the hierarchy of you know, who's better than who and who looks better than who. And I need this to look like this. And it's, uh, it's exhausting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I really I, like, it is a great point for me when I'm working in these groups with, um, these young students and like, they can finally look at their eating disorder or their, 
their disrupted relationship with food and body as not, it's not a me problem, it's a systemic problem, right? It's a global problem, right? Like Sage was saying, like there's a lot of shame that comes along with eating disorders, um, which is why like the group that I hold is so magical because it's just like for many of these young students, it's like the first place that's safe enough to be authentic and be real. <clears throat> and like hand in hand with an eating disorder is not only shame, but it's also denial, right? Many of us go through life completely denying that we even have a disrupted relationship with food or body. And so um, having a place where students are just curious and just realize like, whoa, I uh, like that's that's not quote unquote normal right like that's not that's not it that's not healthy um yeah so it's just I think that's just kind of what's alive for me right now I think too um what I was thinking about uh you know in social media I was at first I was thinking you know how like if you go on Instagram and the filters that are there for Instagram people, there's a lot of uh, attention on that right now about how it makes you look not even like yourself when you're making posts and things like that. That's one thing. But also if you think about social media and how food is portrayed on uh, social media platforms and what is promoted, the propaganda that is promoted regarding food, fast food, junk food, all the things, that are unhealthy, that keep us sick, that keep us in this cycle of eat too much, eat the crap food, and then get sick, and then go to the doctor, and then take pills for something that can't be fixed that way, and then start the cycle over and over and over again. It's like the food industry in this country, the pharmaceutical industry in this country, the medical establishments and the lack of knowledge that doctors have regarding nutrition and uh, healthy food choices and what is considered a healthy food choice. That's a huge debate in and of itself. And that's a whole nother podcast, in my opinion. <laughs> totally, girl. Um, Let's do I mean, it. Yeah, <laughs> do a it. whole nother soapbox. I've been vegan now for almost nine years next month. And that's a part of the food journey for me. I was vegetarian for a good chunk of my adult life until I started studying the dairy industry and then I became vegan. All of these things, even though ethically that's how I choose to eat, have played a huge part in the way I view myself as an eating person. For instance, I'm vegan, I've been vegan, ethically vegan now for almost nine years. And I, in my head, feel like our society thinks a vegan should be skinny, running marathons and eating salad every day. You know, I'll, I'll kill a plate of fries. You know, I am still a vegan, but I can eat the heck out of carbs. You know what I'm saying? So there, there's, it's so multi-leveled and so challenging. And I think that not only social media and the way that women's bodies are viewed and sexualized and degraded, but also how food is portrayed in this society and what is considered healthy and what's not considered healthy. And just the lack of education in that realm 
around food and from all sides of the story, whether it's just typical me on the street versus uh, a doctor. I've had conversations with my own personal doctors where they've tried to tell me this XYZ food is healthy for you. And I know absolutely that it's not, but they don't have the knowledge that you know, someone who studies that stuff all the time might have. And that's not to say that it's that way across the board. I'm saying just in general. Um, There's the, something too, Sage, about this, right? So for example, eating seasonally, right? That, that we're trusting mother nature. So let's think about it like this. We're trusting mother nature to be like, hey, here's some fruit. Um, this is citrus fruit. It has vitamin C. You might need that right now. You know, like like locally, seasonally, like eating for in this kind of you know trusting the cycle, right? <clears throat> or trusting our own bodies, like intuitively right. going to the farmers market and being like, hey, I'm attracted yes. to this kale. This is really beautiful. I'm gonna get it, you know, and like right. really listening into your body for like, okay, what's needed, right? So there's a way about like trusting the circle, you know the, you know, cycle of nature and the, you know, cycle of your, your hunger. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what you said about the goddess as women. I think a lot of us have lost our connection to our intuition and listening to our body. Um, that's a hard thing to get back when you've lost it and self-esteem and learning our own authenticity is where I think that connection gets realigned because I don't know about you, but I definitely feel that intuition when it's summertime, I wanna eat lots of watermelon and fresh clean salads and just all this yummy fresh food from mother earth, um, which is a whole nother subject of getting clean, fresh food. I mean, we could go on and on and on down that rabbit hole of GMOs and genetically modified everything. So, I mean, clean food in quotes, um, but you know what I'm saying? That intuition is there, like you said, of I feel now it's winter, I want soups. I want all those things that are warming and comforting. That's intuition. You know, I don't even have a TV anymore because it's, you know, whatever, it's not telling me what to eat, but you still see it if you're on social media. And I just think there's a huge, that's a huge area that influences us in our eating disorders if we allow it and if we don't have coping mechanisms to deal with it. And going back to your original question, and, and then I'll stop because I, like you said, Melissa, I could talk about this stuff for hours. Um, if you're a student and you're listening to this and you have any issue, any question, any inkling of anything about an eating disorder, the, the most important thing to do, I think, and wish I wish I could have done when I was younger is to just reach out to someone who will listen and who can help and start doing your research, start studying these books, start looking up things about different and alternative ways of um, building self-esteem and authenticity and getting back to that center, that goddess center of your womanhood. I think that's really key in dealing with traumas and things like that. Reach out to someone else. Don't keep it to yourself. You know, come to the, uh, come to Angie and she'll give you resources. I mean, there's so much you can do. Don't sit there by yourself because we're here and we can listen, or if we don't know, we'll find the answer. So that's what I would say to a student who is listening for sure. 
Thank you, Sage. And thank you, Melissa, so much, both of you for being here. And um, I'll say to the students, um, please reach out if you want more information or more support or you're struggling with this. It doesn't matter who you are. We've been talking, we're women, we've been talking about women's experience, but if you're a guy and you're struggling with this too, no matter how you identify on the gen or your gender expression or identity, please reach out. Um, Angie Hensley at marivellecollege.edu and um, keep listening. Thanks everybody. Thank you.